Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox censoring the marginalized in Mormonism. Derek, you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, Are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Didn't okay, hear great. thought I lost you for a second. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into things. Uh, we have a lot of material we want to cover, and we're going to be in Doctrine and Covenants section 49 and 50. Before we jump into that, just want to let you guys know that we are a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Okay, so we are in, like I said, sections 49 and 50. Just a little bit of background, at least for 49, where we will be starting our read today. Some elders in Kirtland found uh, some success among a community of uh, uh, shakers. I almost said Quakers. But they found some success among a community of shakers. But uh, they were bringing in some of their old beliefs, some of which didn't really gel well with uh, Latter-day Saint beliefs. And uh, Joseph apparently not knowing where Shaker beliefs and Mormon beliefs diverged or overlapped, he inquired of the Lord and got section 49 in response. And uh, this revelation was intended to be read to the Shakers when the elders returned to their community, which they did and uh, didn't really go over that well. But uh, we can talk about that a little bit more as we dive into some of this content here. Uh, Derek, I would like to start with, not section, I want to start with verse 2, if that's cool with you. Okay, cool. All right. So, this verse, I got hung up on this verse, man. Let me just go ahead and read it to you. It says, Behold, I say unto you, they, and uh, this is talking about the Shakers, they desire to know the truth in part, but not all, for they are not right before me and must needs repent. So something about that phrasing, I don't know what it was, but I just got really hung up on that. To to desire to know the truth, but only in only in part is not really something that makes a ton of sense to me, but it's something that's very familiar. It's something we've seen in scripture before. Like we've, I believe we see this in Exodus 20, when the children of Israel, upon receiving the 10 commandments, they ask that the Lord not speak anymore, lest they die. We see this Mm -hmm. with the rich young ruler in the new Testament who asks, you know, what else he must do that he might inherit an eternal life. And as it turns out, he was not ready to hear it. Um, The end of this story with regard to the Shakers is that the brethren went back after this revelation was given. They read the whole of section 49 to the congregation and they rejected it despite their leader seeking the voice of the Lord. I feel like we see this a bunch with people who would be allies. You know, they'll want to know what the problem is. They'll be seeking solutions. They will want to know how they can help, what they can do, how they can otherwise be part of the solution. And then when they're told what the problem is and they're told what they need to do, oftentimes it's too much for them. And it's not even like they don't believe us when we tell them what the problem is. They just get scared of the work or scared of what the work will do to their lives or they Mm -hmm. resent the work required is a challenge to who they are as people perhaps like they feel like maybe they're being told that they're bad people i don't know what it is but i think this is why the children of israel didn't want the lord to speak anymore because they knew if he revealed truth that they weren't ready to live it would be to their condemnation or in that particular Mm -hmm. instance in their words it would be to their death hence they preferred to speak with moses instead perhaps because at least they could ignore Moses, you know. Uh, They could justify not doing what Moses says. He's just a man, even though he's a man that speaks directly with God. Uh, But even still, maybe they'll do something for a little bit, uh, these would-be allies, but then they'll fall, or like a few days later, they'll just fall off, or a few weeks maybe. They want to be told something that's not too uncomfortable, if at all uncomfortable, 
and uh, something that doesn't require that much of them and doesn't require them to forfeit comforts or privileges. They want as much truth, basically, as is comfortable. They want truth they can handle because that's all they're really Mm -hmm. willing to live. Now, I, I know this is kind of a sore spot right now, but another reason this is standing out to me a bunch is because recently you and I, Derek, we spent a long time, literal hours in conversation with somebody who was pretty insistent that they were on your side and committed to living the gospel message and committed to having the back of marginalized people, but clearly only up to a point because as soon as that involved honoring your identity as a gay man, as a theologian, as someone versed in reconciliation and justice work, as as soon as that involved a challenge to their power and their judgment, they were not interested anymore. For literal hours, you told a straight cisgendered white person how to fix homophobia, and they were not trying to hear it. They weren't trying to do anything about it. The only truth they were interested in was that which overlapped with their own experience and their own understanding of doctrine and and not anything that was divergent from it. Yeah, and that's where the real sorrow is. Not like, I'm not sorrowful that I didn't get my way or whatever like that. What I'm sorrowful is that he had the opportunity to draw closer to the gospel and didn't. He's exactly like the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. He came up to Jesus saying, you know what, you're cool. I want to learn more from you. I want to I get on board with this. And Jesus told him what to do. And, he was like, and then this dude like noped out. Yep. That's exactly what the uh, gentleman you're describing did. He wanted to do what is right. He wanted to, at least he claimed to want to be an ally. He had presented himself as an ally for so long. He said that he had my back on a number of issues. He said that he was going to make sure that my people were safe in this particular context, which he had leadership over. But what he ended up doing was what David did to Uriah. (laughs) David sent Uriah to the front of the battle with support and then withdrew the support Mm. and let Uriah have to fend for himself and die. And that's exactly what this dude and we're protecting him for right now, uh, dead to me. He, and all of the queer people in this context, he said for months that this is going to be a safe place for queer people, and then he withdrew his support when we needed it most, Mm -hmm. and prioritized the balancing the comfort and convenience of the homophobes with the safety and integrity of my people, and he in trying to balance those actually took their side and it's really Mm -hmm. sad not because oh i got hurt but it's really sad for him i miss that he had a taste of peace and justice and gospel and sold it well anyway Mm -hmm. let me get back to what the what this verse two says i think a very slow and careful reading of this verse shows us something very interesting. What it, what exactly is condemned here? It's not the fact simply that they knew the truth in part, right? That's not the sin. The sin isn't that they just knew part of the truth. The sin is that they desired to know the truth partially. That is, they were content with not knowing the truth, not knowing the full truth. See, I think that's the real mm-hmm. problem. That's what needs repentance because we're all going to be in clay, in in spots where we don't know everything. I don't know everything. We don't know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. That by itself is not the sin. The sin is saying, you know what, I have the opportunity to reach for more, just like our friend did. Mm-hmm. He had the opportunity to reach for more. I spoke on him with him for one hour. The two of us spoke with him an additional almost two hours. It was two hours. <laughs> yeah, so... So he got three hours of free teaching from marginalized people on an issue where he's trying to figure out what to do for the marginalized, and then he still didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The sad thing is, just like with the rich wrong ruler, I think he gets it, but just didn't have the, he gets some of it at least, but doesn't have the courage to take the um, the harder path that will, will cost him something, that will cost mm-hmm. his vision of, Everyone being able to hold hands in the same room. Everyone being comfortable. That's not going to happen. Well, anyway, I don't want to talk about this. We'll talk about this more next week once I have more information about how this all pans out. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to connect this with, yeah, a fearless search for the truth and being ready for the truth. I want to jump ahead real quick to section 50. Just one verse out of section 50 we're going to take. This is the verse that says, um, verse 40, it says, Behold, ye are little children and cannot bear all things now. Ye must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. So growing in knowledge is a commandment we see here. I also want to connect this with what Jesus said in the farewell discourse of John. And this is the night before his crucifixion. He was with his disciples and this is the final instructions he had before them he had many final instructions for them but here's what he says in john 16 verses 12 and 13 to his disciples privately i have yet many things to say unto you but ye cannot bear them now how be it when he and how be it means but really but when he the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come so there's two things that we notice about this is here we have in the new testament a clear one of the clearest promises of ongoing revelation being a hallmark of the christian church He didn't say, oh, well, you already have all the truth here, and there will be no more truth, and there will be no more Bible, and there will be no more scripture, and there will be no more um, addition. You can't add to the truth. No, he's saying, Mm -hmm. look, after I'm gone, the Spirit will come and will guide you into all the truth. And this is something that he endowed upon his disciples at this time but i want to go back to what it says here he i bet he must have been so frustrated you know he's probably you know um you know how i want to do all my like five hour videos (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i I have many things to say unto you right that's what jesus Mm -hmm. says i have yet many things to say he wanted to do some of these five hour videos but they couldn't handle it. That's what it says. I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. This this word bears is, the Greek word is bastadzo. And this is used literally of carrying a heavy burden. In Mark 14, verse 13, it's used of carrying a heavy jar of water. In Luke 14, verse 27, it's used of carrying a cross, taking up your, bearing your cross and following Jesus. So that's literally what it means. It's to to handle something. It's like, this is too much for you to handle, so I'm not telling you right now, but later on, the Spirit will tell you. Now, I want to connect this with LGBT equality. People say, well, the church has been around since 1830. We haven't gotten a revelation yet that says uh, LGBT folks are equal. Well, maybe that's one of the things that we weren't ready for. Mm. Maybe that's now I think we who are queer are ready for it. And I don't think Jesus is holding this back from us uh, as punishment. Uh, Jesus isn't punishing LGBTs for the the failings of this, the, the majority. But I think there is an element here that makes sense that that God wishes and has been trying to communicate these things to us. But but we haven't gotten them. We as a people haven't gotten them. What do you think? I think, um, yeah, like I, I was reminded of another scripture in, uh, I think it's still section 50, where the Lord reminds us that when a man reasoneth, he is understood of man because he reasoneth as a man. Even so will I, the Lord, reason with you that you may understand. And this isn't just, uh, you know, language he's talking about. He's speaking in a context that they can understand. And, you know, we also got to remember that at least at this time when these verses were written, this is 1831. They still don't have any kind of concept of sexual orientation yet. That's not going to come till, right. you know, later in the 1800s. Um, but like, it's a very different context that, you know, the Lord is trying to speak to them in one that, you know, like just culturally, socially, politically, whatever else, 
there is a language that the Lord is trying to speak to them in so that mm-hmm. they can get it. And uh, sometimes that is going that may very well mean he's omitting certain things or that he simply is not going to, or maybe he even says things and they don't get them. I don't know. Um, what I do know is that, well, something that you've said on a previous episode that the brethren or any of us really, we are limited by the answers that we are willing and ready to receive. So I think the Lord is taking that into account as he is giving us revelation. And here's another component. Um, Connecting this verse in John 16 with something we find later in the Johannine tradition, this is in 1 John chapter 4, you have something where the people, A, it, it, it presupposes ongoing revelation and ongoing spirits giving us new knowledge. Because it says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, and then it tells, us, tells you how to test the spirits. So it's on right. all of us. All of us are prophets. All of us are co-prophets mm-hmm. with the president mm-hmm. of the church on this mm-hmm. issue. So we all have the spirit. We all have the ability to and the responsibility to test the spirits. And this gets back to something I call a, a while back that I called the zeroth presidency. Do you remember when we talked about that? I do. And I'll just highlight that what you just said is uh, also witnessed in section 50 verses 30 through about 32, I think. Mm, mm-hmm, this testing right. of all the spirits. Right, exactly. But yeah, the zeroth, the zeroth presidency. <laughs> the zeroth presidency is something more foundational and something more basic than the first presidency. Mm-hmm. We were talking about testimony. The testimony of the individual is the the foundation of everything else, the testimony of the spirit to a particular individual. That's how we know everything else. And so that's right. where the that's where the final authority is. The final authority in this church is the zeroth presidency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we get um, some of the integrity behind the spirit telling you which rules to break. That gets back to the authority of the zeroth presidency. Right. Because you right. have to really know the tradition. You have to really know the spirit. You have to really know what's going on to be confident that what some other human rule is presented to you, that you feel comfortable uh, breaking that. <laughs> yep. Now, you're right about that. <laughs> I want to move on to something else back in chapter or in section 49. And this is one of the shaker. Um, <clears throat> one of the shaker peculiarities. Now, I'm not going to okay. go through all this material because it's so well written in the Revelations in Context book. It's also available online. Revelations in Context has a good discussion of what exactly happened here with the encounter with the shakers. But the shakers had a lot of cool things in common with the Latter-day Saints, including a mm-hmm. communitarian life, an understanding of um, uh, an awakening of spiritual gifts, um renewed revelation the idea of that that they were the only right ones and well actually a lot of people at that time thought they were the only right ones mm-hmm. but that, that they were doing something different this idea that there was this this great apostasy and now comes back the real the real story and that's what the shakers uh, that's part of what the shakers did but mm-hmm. another thing that the shakers did as part of their communitarian living was a commitment to this life of celibacy and it's not just, oh, they had celibate clergy. They had everyone celibate, which means that they didn't reproduce very well, um, actually at all. <laughs> very well, yeah. The, uh, the only way that they grew was through converts and through adopting children. And uh, that's why we only have, I think, about three shakers left in the world. Uh, up here in Sabbath Day Lake, Maine, there's a there's a Shaker village that has. I think they still have three Shakers left. I want to visit them sometime. Wow! But anyway, the point is about celibacy. That's one of the things that has been cruelly imposed on queer members of the church, whether they're LGB or whether they're trans. People have said you need to either choose to be married to someone that you're not attracted to or you need to be celibate. Mm-hmm. And they realize that first one doesn't really work out very well. So they're basically mm-hmm. now the best deal they can give us is celibacy. And I'm like, that's actually not 
ever what God intended. It says very clearly, it is not good for man to be alone. Right there oh, in yep. Genesis 2. And that's right what it says verse right 15. here. <laughs> right here in verse 15, it says, And again, verily I say unto you, that whoso forbiddeth to marry is not, not ordained of ordained God. Not ordained of God. It says it right there. For marriage is ordained of God unto man. Like we were designed to... Um, we were designed to at least have the option to to marry, right? Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. there are asexual and aromantic individuals who, for some for whatever reason, they validly do not need to be completed by someone else in order to be there to to fulfill the measure of their creation, right? I think there's a lot of diversity. Some people are may willingly be single. Some people may willingly be married some people may have alternative arrangements where they get their needs met in other ways uh, a communitarian life and a nuclear family there's just so many ways that families can look yes sir right and mm-hmm. so what this is telling me now people are going to say oh well it doesn't say gay marriage here it just says marriage well that even wasn't in, like you were saying the intent what this this was not attempting to address gay marriage that wasn't an issue on the time they didn't think of it that way so of course some Mm -hmm. of the language is going to be in terms of man and woman but -hmm. you have to look at what it's resisting what it's opposing what it's resisting and opposing is not gay marriage what it's resisting and opposing by its own terms is forced celibacy right right forced celibacy so people who are, are going to twist this to say, well, yeah, it does say husband, it does say wife, it does have this other language that is just the language of the day that they would have used. You have mm-hmm. to look at what the contrast is. What is the explicit intent of this? The explicit intent here is not to say anything about uh, same gender couples. That's not on the table. So therefore, you should not read that in. When what you should read is everything. Every time where it says man and woman, you should read it as okay. Well, now we would phrase it as uh, two men or two women or or two people of any gender or all genders, right? That's the only historical way of responsibly taking this text because then it would hit us the same way that it hit them. It would give us the same impression that it would have given the original audience. The original audience only knew that kind of relationship and only that kind of marriage. So that's what Mm -hmm. they heard. And so we now know other kinds of marriages. And so to have the same uh, reception among us, it would have to say that or else you're distorting the message. I don't know if that really made sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Thank you for saying But let's that. look at verse 17. It says, uh, or 16 and 17, it says, Wherefore it is lawful that he would have one wife, and that they twain shall be one flesh, and all this that the earth might answer the end of its creation, and that it might be mm. filled with the measure of man according to his creation before the world was made. And I mm-hmm. love this idea that the purpose of all of us is to fill the measure of our creation. And queer and trans people disabled people we have a lot of obstacles artificially put in our way of being able to fulfill the measure of our creation this is the one part of the verses i had any kind of question on because my instinct like i don't do this a lot i mean i do it a lot now but i didn't before i would go to the uh come follow me manual once i finished my study of the scriptures or you know whatever the uh, lesson is for the week and i would be like let me see if there's anything i missed or any good questions in here and uh, the first thing i noticed was once we got to the discussion uh verses 15 through 17 was the bright the big bold heading uh that is written above this that says something along it says marriage between a man and woman is essential to god's plan like that is the heading for this whole section and i was like you know what let me go ahead back and read this like there's no way i missed this particular thing in here and that's when i got to verse 15 and i got more or less the same insight that you got like look it says right here whoso forbids to marry is not ordained of god that's that's a case against telling gay people not to marry right there but then i needed to know what exactly is it to uh what does it mean when it says that all that the earth might answer the end of its creation and i just had to uh, ponder that for a moment and i'm just like does this mean that the purpose of the earth or somehow is somehow going to be uh, fulfilled in heterosexual unions alone like is that 
the only way that people can help the earth or, you know, meet the end of its creation? I was like, no, like there's no way that is the only way this works. Like there's plenty of Mm -hmm. ways for people Mm -hmm. to have families besides, you know, being in heterosexual relationships. I just had two thoughts. One is um, this, the measure of like the purpose of creation I would go back to Romans 1 verse 20, which I don't have right in front of me, but this is the verse that says that the that the characteristics of the invisible God are made known by the things that were made. It, talking about how we know uh, anything about God. And so when we want to know about God, we have to look at creation and created things mm-hmm. and all these things will somehow testify of what God is like. And when we look at the diversity of what's here on the earth, we know exactly what God, like. God is like. God <laughs> loves diversity. God loves exceptions. God loves peculiarities. God loves things that don't quite fit categories. There are so many elements of our natural world that don't fit categories well. They blend mm-hmm. categories, they blur categories, they straddle categories. They they don't even have, categories are so, sort of an artificial construct that we put on the natural world. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the problem, even gender, even race. Oh, race is a good example of us mm-hmm. putting boxes where there are no boxes in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to some extent, the way we construct orientation is is culturally relative and culturally determined but that's that's uh i don't want to get into that right now Mm. but that's kind of where i want to go and and yes marriage is great and i want to have i can't remember if i've talked about how the genesis 2 creation narrative is actually very pro-queer and let me just summarize it this way Mm -hmm. is when we look at it it says uh that it's not good for for man to be alone Okay, that's right. pro-queer right there. All these people are telling me I have to be alone. I'm like, God says no. But let's talk about what happens in this. So it says that it is got not good for man, and I don't have the text in front of me right now, but I'm just going based on my memory. So the wording might not be exact. So God says, look, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion for him, an Azer Konegdo, a... Um, a helper appropriate to him, corresponding to him, matching him in some way. Uh, and then guess what God does? God creates all the animals and brings all the animals to Adam. And then the text very clearly says, and there was not found an Azer Konegdo, a helper appropriate to him among the animals. And that only then do you get the creation of Eve from Adam's rib. And then it says, aha, there was an Azer Konegdo, a helper appropriate to him. And then how is that appropriateness defined? Adam sings and he doesn't say, oh, look, the complementarity of my gender opposite. He doesn't say, <laughs> oh, the, the missing piece of my gender. Or he doesn't say anything about gender. He doesn't say anything about complementarity. He doesn't say anything about that. But what he does is he recognizes someone of his own, what is it, James? species his own species yeah he doesn't he says bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh the contrast the narrative contrast that is brought out in great vivid detail is between the animals and then a fellow human that's all it says it doesn't say anything about the gays it is not a polemic against the gays it's not addressing in its in its historical context four thousand um approximately or whenever you date the the Genesis narrative, um, it thousands of years ago, it's not addressing contemporary gay relationship. In fact, it's more of a polemic against bestiality than it is against same gender love. Because clearly, yeah, there's not it. There was not found an appropriate command, companion among the beasts. But yes, there was found an appropriate command, companion among the same species. And when Adam celebrates it, he talks, the only thing he talks about is the fact that they're the same species. Nothing else about gender, nothing else about procreation, nothing about anything else justified their relationship other than he saw one that was like him, not someone that was unlike him, someone that was like him. And we who are gay find someone who are like us. And Mm -hmm. that is holy, that is 
completely in the spirit of Adam and Eve, that is completely in the spirit of Genesis 1 and 2, that is completely in the spirit of all of us are created in God's image and fair game. Like, the, the people who who think Adam and Eve is actually pro-heteronormative actually haven't even read the text. When you look at it very carefully, it's actually Adam who decides who was the appropriate companion for himself. He was mm-hmm. the one who rejected everything God sent him until he found the one that was the match that was like him. That's mm-hmm. exactly what queer people do. We reject stuff that doesn't match for us until we find one who we choose and we find a one that we define as matching us. So even in Genesis 2, not even God is the ultimate decider of who the appropriate companion is. It is right. Adam himself uh, who decides ultimately that the beasts are not an appropriate companion. He rejects them all until he gets the one that he decides is the appropriate companion. So I reserve the right not to be alone. It is mm-hmm. not good for man to be alone, and I reserve the right to to match with someone who is like me, an Azer Connecto with me, someone of the same species, and I reserve the right to be the final authority as to who the right companion is for me, just like like straight people are. So what I want to do is use that. Oh, any comments? I probably said it so well, you don't have anything to say. <laughs> no, I probably I probably don't. Um, you know, just a loud amen to what you just said, and also I didn't even know or consider the fact that Adam was the one who made the final call or made the decision on who his helpmeet was going to be. And that all these other creatures that were brought to him and that he named were like, you know, that this was a part of the process. Like this was something I didn't actually consider. So I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you brought this out for us to be able to yet again talk about, you know, our own agency in choosing who it is that we get to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, be with and have mm-hmm. companionship with. Right. And it goes back to people say, oh, how can you dare choose? I mean, it's all about love. Like, it's about hearts, not parts. It's about Galatians 5, where it says, against love there is no law. Like, there is nothing at all worthy of condemnation about the love between two men or the love between two women or the love between two people of mm-hmm. any of the genders. Right. So I want to I want to go back and talk tie this into the family pl- proclamation because a lot of people say, well, "What about the family proclamation? What about this? What about it? What about the yeah. family proclamation?" I think the whole thing of like, "What about the proclamation?" is like, "Oh, well, what about the looting?" Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that's where your focus is, like you're missing something. Yeah, you um, you are missing a lot. You are missing, <laughs> missing a, a lot. lot. So what I want to do is we haven't really talked about the proclamation in depth and I don't know how much time we have for this, but I want to, we've never really talked about the proclamation fairly deeply. So I just want to go quickly Mm -hmm. through the proclamation and I want to do an insight um, based on sort of my reading of the Gospels. If you read the Gospels carefully, you should really read them with the end in mind because they're always pointing forward, they're focused towards the cross. Like everything Jesus does and says, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is pointing towards the cross. That's it's almost like the author of Mark wrote the the uh, the crucifixion narrative first, and then added the other stuff on as a prequel. So I'm going to do a similar thing with the proclamation, and I think everything we read in the proclamation should be read in light of where it's going. Mm. So that's why I'm going to start at the end and see where it ends up. And and then we're going to then we'll see how how to interpret stuff that comes before. The last line is uh, we call upon responsible citizens and officers of officers of government everywhere to promote these measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family as the fundamental unit of society. This bottom line gives you the whole purpose of the proclamation. It's to call people to promote measures to maintain and strengthen the family, okay? So if something doesn't maintain and strengthen the family, it's not part of the proclamation. Mm. I'm telling you, this is the way it is. Homophobia does not maintain and strengthen families. Homophobia mm-hmm. divides families, mm-hmm. it, it ends lives, it ends mm-hmm. relationships. It's like homophobia is not promoted. 
Like it says, we call upon people to promote those measures that are designed to maintain and strengthen the family. So by mm-hmm. definition, this cannot promote homophobia. This cannot promote anything that devastates families. Mm-hmm. It cannot uh, cannot do that. So the very final line, the whole purpose of this clearly defines that homophobia has no part in this proclamation and if you find homophobia in it what you've actually done is found the homophobia in yourself and you've read it into Ooh. it Ooh. so <laughs> you act like you're i'm you're surprised every time i say something i'm not but even still every time you spit a bar man i gotta make ooh. Yes. Okay. So let's go back. Um, the paragraph before it says, We warn that individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring, or fail to fulfill family rebel- responsibilities, will one day stand accountable before God. I want to focus on who abuse spouse or offspring. There's no way to be transphobic without being abusive there is no way to be homophobic without being abusive any parent any family member any sibling anyone anywhere who mistreats and harms a child of god who happens to be lgbtq is guilty of abusing spouse or offspring Mm. and this so there's actually in literally here in the proclamation there is more of a condemnation of homophobia and the abuse that is inherently within homophobia there's more of a condemnation of that than there is about same gender love there is no description of same gender love that is held up in the proclamation and then condemned Hmm. it it's not described it's not described and then condemned okay so let's go back one thing it says in these sacred responsibilities referring to some stuff that happened before um, in these sacred responsibilities about uh, about child rearing fathers and mothers are obligated to help one another as equal partners okay isn't that interesting we have gender equality in Mm -hmm. the proclamation Mm-hmm. And what that means is that gender equality should be read back into everything that happened before because it says in these sacred responsibilities, they should be equal. Then we go back and look at what those were sacred responsibilities they are, and it's providing over the families and it's nurturing children. But in those sacred responsibilities, fathers and mothers are equal partners. So that's why I'm reading it backwards because you can see where it's going, can help you define what it, what it was saying before. Then the next line says, disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. This is my favorite line of the whole, the whole thing. I because know it. There's an, this gives you exceptions, but there are no exceptions to these exceptions. So obviously in cases of des- disability or death, you may have single parents. You may have um, grandparents. You may have extended families. That's actually what it says next. Extended families should lend support when needed, which proves that the, that the proclamation says there's no one right way for a family to look. There mm-hmm. is no one right way. All these people blabbering on about the proclamation this the proclamation that they don't believe the whole proclamation they just believe the anti what they think is the anti-gay line but the Mm -hmm. proclamation clearly says there's multiple ways that families can look yes sir some of them will be exceptions from the from what people think should be the ideal but when we look at the biblical narrative chosen family really is the model of biblical family big time you talked about the savior last time did you not wait say that again you talked about the Savior last time. Um, I think when we had the New Testament era, that's the one I at least remember the most when you talked about chosen family, the fact oh, that Jesus yeah. spent mm-hmm. a lot of time among his apostles, and also right. the fact that right. when he had that little dispute with his family and said mm-hmm. that these who mm-hmm. follow the gospel, this is my yeah. family, this is In my Mark mother, three. father. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's the one. Okay, but let's look at this. Disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. First of all, we need, we need to talk about the disability community. Mm-hmm. This is telling us that we, it's, that we need to make room for people with disabilities, that that is something that we should take into account. There may be things that we have to do differently because of disability. Like right. I now, I I'm not as involved in the disability community as others, but from what I can tell, this should be seen as something that can be used in a liberatory manner. At mm-hmm. least it's mentioned, 
and it says that this needs to change how we think of disability. This change changes how we need to think of access. This, I think, should be read as a condemnation of ableism because it's saying, well, no, you can't just treat all people as if they were um, non-disabled. You have to take into account disability. You have mm-hmm. to take into account it, disability with individual adaptation. And f- from what I can tell, that should be used as a liberatory a text for our friends with disabilities. But let's get with this other circumstances. It says disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. What's that saying is, what's this other circumstance? Well, I'm gay. Hello. I know a big old <laughs> other circumstance, right? We have clearly an exception to everything that came before that says, you know what? There's stuff that, that overrides that. And I think orientation and gender identity are things that override. These are other circumstances that may necessitate the individual adaptation of everything that came before here in this. That's why it comes later, because it is qualifying everything that comes before. Yes, Mm -hmm. we said this, but now we're saying there's exceptions. Now, notice that there's no exceptions to the exceptions. It says Mm -hmm. disability, death, or other circumstance. It does not say other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation Unless, Unless you're gay. <laughs> you're gay. There's right. no exception to these other circumstances, which means to me that queerality and gender identity are fair game to, to, to be considered exceptions that, that require individual adaptation of everything that came before. It does not say any other circumstances unless you're gay. It says any cir- other circumstances. And I think the, the circumstances where we now know that people are genuinely attracted and legitimately falling in love with people of the same gender, that means that we're going to individually adapt. Okay, so everything that people try to read before, I think should be read in light of this exception. Now, let me just back up another few lines. It says, successful marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. There's nothing about a gay marriage that prevents you from having faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, <laughs> work, and wholesome recreation. We, we all, it's all the same boring stuff for gay couples mm-hmm. or straight couples. There is nothing in a successful marriage or family right here that says it has to be straight. Mm-hmm. It never says successful marriages and families are established on what gender people have or what parts people have. They don't even mention parts here. It's about mm-hmm. faith, love, and prayer. That's what right. makes a successful marriage, okay? So we who are queer and in queer families, we can have all those same things, such as faith and love and respect and forgiveness. And any families with queer members in them need to have respect and love and compassion for their queer family members or else they're not a successful marriage and family. Mm -hmm. Let me just go back up. I could do this with every line. Um, (laughs) But when we get back up to, for example... um, the one line that people try to use out of context says, we further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and woman, lawfully wedded as husband and wife. Now, I don't even know, I don't, I have to say, I don't even know what that means. Like, the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and woman. Does that mean um, that a single woman cannot uh give birth to a child by artificial insemination, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's having a child. She's not having sex. There's a, Okay, there's the law of chastity piece. Yeah, okay. But if a woman or, um, or even a man who has a uterus wants to have a child through artificial insemination with no sex, like, what's wrong with that? Is that what this is talking about? Is it saying that you should only have children if you are lawfully wedded as husband and wife? Like, I don't know what this is exactly saying. There's a lot of confusion in here, but my point is... It's a confusing way to say that. Like, they were trying to say that only male-female companionships and marriage can produce 
children or be married like they found a really convoluted way of saying that like it is confusing yeah and this this overlaps with ageism and disability like what about individuals who are not able to have children or or who choose not to have children Mm -hmm. like this this whole business about the sacred powers of procreation that really muddles everything up especially okay let me let me give you Ooh, let's have a bible quiz i'm gonna put james on the spot because he didn't know this was coming okay okay (laughs) Think about sacred powers of procreation in the Bible. Yep. Okay. There's a lot of procreation in the Bible. Think of a famous birth, the famous birth of someone. Oh, geez. That was. (laughs) I thought this was going to be a challenge. (laughs) Okay. We're we're trying to name. Trying to name. Okay. Yes. Let's think of a sacred power of procreation that was employed, but it was not the product of someone who was lawfully wedded as husband and wife. It came from another source. I'm allowed to answer now? Yeah. Yes. Jesus, the bastard child. Exactly. Jesus. Jesus was not born of, of Mary and Joseph. Jesus wasn't... Here we have God... Him, you know, God, God's self, using the sacred powers of procreation between not husband and wife. It was not between mm-hmm. Joseph and Mary. It was between Mary herself being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. So I have no idea what they're talking about in this because the most beautiful birth of all violates mm-hmm. whatever it is they're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Jesus was the not born. We have a church. Jesus was not born of sex between a man and a woman. Here we have the most sacred procreation ever in the history of the world is not born of lawfully wedded husband and wife. In fact, that actually gave... So my point is, whatever this is saying, we've got exceptions. If Jesus can be an exception to this, so can I. So take that and put it where you need to put it. But I am (laughs) not going to be intimidated by this text that if you take it fundamentalistically would wipe out Jesus. Like if it's, oh, here's my theory. If it's going to wipe out Jesus, if I'm going to be put in the same category as Jesus, wow, I win, okay? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then let me just go back to um, here in the in the first, in the second paragraph, it says, all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. And because I'm reading this backwards, I'm going to make this the summary of the whole thing. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. That mm-hmm. means everyone, queer, is in the image of God. Black folks are in the image of God. Disabled folks are in the image of God. And there's people who might think black and queer people are in the image of God, but then say, well, the image of God got distorted in our disabled friends, and that needs to be fixed. And now some some disabilities... Uh, some people with disabilities may want those things fixed, some some won't. Like, it's up to them to figure out what it is and how they identify. But my mm-hmm. point is that all of us are in the image of God. All of us are holy. All of us are beauty- beautiful. Whatever gender we are, whatever race we are, whatever any of the things, any of the categories, any of the categories that just got busted open by a deep understanding of nature, as we were talking about, all of us are equally in the image of God. And, and, and about gender as well. Women are equally in the, in the image of God. There's no way mm-hmm. that we can treat women differently if we think we're all equally in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my approach to the proclamation. I just ran you over with a whole bunch of stuff. But what are your, <laughs> what are your thoughts on all this? I should just oh, say gosh. that I actually like the proclamation. Like... Mm-hmm. I think what people read into it and what people because because partly it was parts of it weren't even very well written I, I can say mm-hmm. that that's different than saying that I disagree like parts of it are not very well written parts of it are, are somewhat contradictory but um, I like the procl- I like the values underneath the proclamation I don't like the surface of the proclamation the way it gets um, what people read into it right. But that's, I like that, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is primarily like anytime I hear family proclamation, my guard immediately goes up. I'm just like, why are you talking about that document? Why are you talking about that? What's it going to be? It's going to be 26 years in September, I think. Mm-hmm. 26 years old that document is. Why are y'all bringing that up? Like, I have not heard that document used positively in a. I've only 
heard that document used in a non-affirming way for the last, I feel like, decade now. I don't think I've heard anybody bring up the bring up the family proclamation for any length of time, at least like not in a Sunday school lesson, not in a discussion on the internet or any kind of other discussion. The only time I've ever heard the family proclamation brought up was to, is be to bash the gays and the trans. Yes. And sometimes so, like, women as well, because and, they're, they'll yes. put in like women's roles and women's roles. And I don't, right. I, I, let's get rid of gender roles and have cinnamon rolls. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, like when you, when you ask me what my feelings are, just it's, it's complicated because I just have such a, and I imagine it's this way for you too, more so, but I just do not have a, positive association of that document with anything at this moment. The last time I've spoke positively of the family proclamation was my mission because that's Uh when I was teaching it. That's when we were emphasizing families and like baptizing father led families, Mm -hmm, which, mm -hmm. you know, in and of itself, a little bit of a problematic uh, thing there. But, you know, that was the last time I had any kind of positive association with the family proclamation since I've been back. It's only been used to bash the gays. It's almost always yeah, used to bash yeah. queer folks. Why so, isn't it used to bash stuff that should be bashed? Like, you could theoretically look at this document here and use it as a condemnation of police brutality and mass incarceration. Because look at what it says. It says that life, where, where is that life, where is it says that life is san- the sanctity of life? Where is that? Where is that? Da, da, da. I don't know where it is. Oh, we affirm the sanctity of life and it's important in God's plan. Like if you're killing people, that's not mm. that's not part of, you know, that's not okay. But what it is right. is it's saying, you know what really disrupts families is when you kill the father. Right? If you kill mm. the father on the street, you've mm-hmm. disrupted a family. You have mm-hmm. you've that's not pro family. If you incarcerate mm-hmm. a parent, if you take away their job, if you do all these other things, that's not pro family. It Mm -hmm. says, we call upon responsible citizens and officers of government everywhere to promote those measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family as the fundamental unit of society. Like, if you're Mm -hmm. taking brown and black people off the street and killing them, putting them in jail... Or anything, right? That how is that strengthening black families? How's that? <laughs> well, how is that strengthening brown families? Like, speak on it. This is a mm. beautiful document in the hands of beautiful people, mm-hmm. and it's an ugly document in the hands of ugly people. And I don't mean physically beautiful and ugly. I mean morally, right? Right. A good person right. will do good things with this document, and a bad person will do bad things with this document. That's why I, I don't want this. The debate to be about the proclamation. Like people will mm-hmm. use it as a shield. People are tell, saying I attack the proclamation. I love the proclamation. I've posted it up on my wall. You know, <laughs> this is my problem. Isn't now the text isn't perfect, right? It's given according to the language of people. It was given in 1995. I don't mm-hmm. think when I was in when I was 1995, I probably wouldn't have written it much better than this myself. Right, I wasn't 100% woke on queer issues in 1995. Um, I probably would have written something like this myself, right? But my point is, we're not in 1995 anymore. God has many things to share with us, but we can't bear them right now. Um, wow, you really got me talking about this. <laughs> I'm here for it, man. You you speak in whole yeah. bars, man. Okay. I love it. So what I want to hear, it's okay. I want to, what I think happened is, you know how what people talk about morality in the church? Yeah. Um, how did that get reduced to just being about sex? <laughs> I think this goes back to exactly what we have with, with the shakers. It said, the, sh- the problem with the shakers is that they didn't want all the truth. They just wanted to reduce it to things. It says, behold, I mm-hmm. say unto you that they desire to know the truth in part. People are desiring to know the proclamation in part. They just p- mm-hmm. pick out the, the, the part that they can use to bash the gays, but forget the part that actually is a strong, uh, a strong testimony against economic injustice. Economic injustice is the biggest destroyer here. of families. Okay, I, mm-hmm. okay let me t- do you know how many families I've destroyed? How many families you destroyed, Derek? None. I'm a proud mo, and I haven't destroyed any families. Like 
Packer would be so disappointed that I haven't disappo- <laughs> dis- destroyed any family. He says that, that you know President Packer said the gays are going to. I haven't even destroyed one marriage. Mm-mm. Like oh the gays, it's going to destroy marriage. Like I haven't destroyed anyone's marriage. I've actually mm. saved some people's marriages, by the way. But mm. my point is, what really destroys families, what destroys marriages, is stuff like economic injustice. Why don't we have people out there banging on the pulpit with the proclamation saying, a prophet of the Lord it has commanded us to speak out against economic justice because that is what destroys families. Why don't we do well. that? I've talked way too much about this. We're at an hour <laughs> And I've kind of said I'm everything it, that I'm. I've said everything I'm going to say for today. Um, but, but, but part of it is I have never really done a thorough conver- thorough conversation on the proclamation anywhere. I've mentioned it here and there, but I've never gone through it as thoroughly as I have today. And I thought I should just do it so it's all in one place. I'm so glad you did, Derek. People right. are going to love it, I think, because, uh, like you said, we don't have something like this, and uh, this is going to be a great resource for people who are accustomed to uh, hearing the family proclamation as I am accustomed mm-hmm. to hearing it. Mm-hmm. And further, Derek, you know, you taught me something else today, something that I'm really going to treasure is just that— Oh, I taught you something? I thought you knew everything that I, that I had. To- if only, if only. But here's the thing, Derek. Like, the, I think the most important thing you've taught me about the proclamation today is that— um, I shouldn't let my bad associations with it prevent me from seeing such beauty and uh, greatness in it. Now, I know this to an extent with the scriptures already because, mm-hmm. you know, these things have been weaponized against marginalized mm-hmm. groups for centuries. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it is a very uh, wonderful and empowering exercise to be able to go into the scriptures and find affirmations of me rather than, you know, the condemnations mm-hmm. of me. I have not taken that same exercise with the family proclamation. And, uh, you know, you reminded me to do that today because I did not at once, I did not at any point think of using the family proclamation as a document to, you know, speak ill of uh, police brutality or economic injustice. Like, this is what I like about reading the scriptures between the lines and everything, but I I did not consider doing that at all with the family proclamation, and I'm glad you did that today. You reminded me not Mm -hmm. only all the beauty that is present in the family proclamation, but also reminded me that there is beauty to be found in these texts Mm -hmm. or these Mm -hmm. talks that can otherwise be unaffirming. And rather than avoid them or perhaps, dare mm-hmm. I say, mm-hmm. only s- accept a partial truth, uh, I should probably do better about finding the truth that is present mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, letting that empower me. So thank you for giving me that today, Derek. Yeah. And like one of the – there's another good line. After it says that all human beings – look how inclusive that is. All human beings are created in the image of God. That could be radical mm-hmm. for some people. Right. right. Each is a beloved spirit, son or daughter. Now that is gender binary language, but I would have had gender binary language back when when I was 15 years old in 1995 myself, okay? Each is a beloved child of heavenly parents. Now at least that's gender neutral. And mm-hmm. as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. That is powerful. We have the highest view of humans as far as I know of any religious tradition. Where if we talk mm-hmm. about our origin, our nature, our destiny, our potential. Mm. We've got some cool stuff going on. Then it says, and this is a little bit controversial as well, gender is an essential characteristic of individual, pre-mortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. And I don't know what that means. Like, yeah. I didn't, like, I, I honestly don't know what they were trying to say. There's some things, because it doesn't say that your gender in the pre-mortal world conforms to the way your body developed in this world. That's not right. what it says. Like, right. I know some trans people who say this gives me a valid and legitimate way of defining my gender based not on the mortal experience. They're saying my true gender is what it was, the pre-mortal gender, and something happened here in mm-hmm. this life. Mm. Some, some, not, not all trans people have the same narrative. Some people will take it that way, some won't. But at least this gives us, gives some trans people a way of asserting their gender despite how they were assigned at birth, okay? And that could be Mm -hmm. validating for some. And it doesn't say that your pre-mortal gender and your mortal gender and your eternal 
it doesn't say that these will never change. It says it's an essential characteristic, but mm-hmm. it doesn't say it's an unchanging characteristic. Gender can right. change. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, gender is also a social construct, right? And so mm-hmm. gender could mm-hmm. be constructed one way in the pre-mortal world and one way in this world and then one way in the, we don't know how gender will be constructed. We will know that right. that the same sociology, sociality which exists among us here will exist there, but coupled with eternal glory. That's in DNC 130, is it? I'm not sure exactly. I think that's DNC 130. Okay. But anyway, yeah, I think there's gender is a is a social construct, and that some something about that is eternal because something about society is eternal. But mm-hmm. I think people are reading into it way more stuff than 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 is actually there, and way more stuff than they intended to to address. If they were attending to to address all these things, they would have written it differently. Yeah. So yeah, gender isn't even the same thing. People say, oh, is it the same thing on Earth as it is in, in the pre-mortal world? It's not even the same thing in any two countries or any two centuries. Like gender <laughs> in 21st century America and gender in 5th century BCE Athens are constructed very differently. Gender in Africa and in the indigenous world in different centuries before they were all colonized with Eurocentric heteronormativity, gender was constructed very differently. Gender isn't even the same when you cross the Atlantic. So why mm-hmm. would it be the same in the in the next world? Like, I don't know. Those are some other questions. See, I'm not a systematic theologian. I don't really address those questions. <laughs> I address what the scriptures are doing, how they function, how they provide hope and liberation for a community. That's kind of where I go. I don't know the systematic questions. If people want to do those things, go find Blair Ostler. They are are the most brilliant queer theologian in the church. Yeah, and Blair got a book coming out uh, soon, too. We also have uh, later this week... An episode that we recorded with her will also be coming out on Thursday. So oh, be on the lookout so for that. So much fun. I uh, really enjoyed that conversation. I learned so much. And just by way of further resources, we talked about just how queer uh, our faith is and just how much variety, how much exists in those liminal spaces. If you haven't yet listened to our episode with uh, Ash Rowan, uh, you know, listening to their particular conversation on what it is to be a liminal Mormon or to just live in between identities, definitely recommend that as well because it that was a very informative conversation and they have so much goodness to share about, um, you know, just living in these liminal spaces with regard to gender identity, sexuality, and, uh, you know, even with, a, with our faith. So just a lot of things. Did I talk about Taylor Petrie yet? Cause I think that's another resource we should probably recommend, uh, for people who want to learn yeah, more the about tabernacles gender. of clay. Yeah, Tabernacles of Clay. That book came out almost exactly a year ago. So uh, if you haven't got it already or checked it out, I definitely recommend it. Taylor's brilliant. Um, he's just such mm-hmm. a cool dude. We we have a conversation with him as well. I think that was our first or second bonus episode we did for right. the podcast. So uh, listen to that interview if you haven't already because that was super informative and it got me excited to read the book. Uh, the book is also just it's it's very groundbreaking. Um, yeah. So definitely definitely peep that too. Um, so mm-hmm. now that we've done pitched all the products and all the people. Um. <laughs> and Taylor wrote it, it's probably ten years old now, but he wrote in dialogue an article called "Toward a Post Heterosexual Mormon yeah. Theology." Yeah. And that does he does it a little bit differently than I do because he's going at it the more the systematic and philosophical and speculative angle where I just really stick closely to the scriptures because I'm not that smart. So, I, uh, yeah, if you want that kind of theology, check out um, uh, Petrie's toward a, post, post heter- toward a Post-Heterosexual Mormon Theology, I think is what it's called. We're at just over an hour or so, so let's go ahead and uh, wrap some things up real quick. Before we do... I want to remind you guys that uh, Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought, is proud to offer two new podcast features. The first is Dialogue Heritage, which traces the history of the journal over the last 50 plus years to situate it in LDS history more generally. 
The second is Dialogue Book Report, which has discussion, reviews, and interviews about current LDS fiction, nonfiction, and memoirs, so you can stay up to date on the latest releases. Listen to these new shows and the Dialogue Lecture Series by subscribing on iTunes or at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Uh, Brother Derek, where can folks find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at btblds. You can also find us at beyondtheblockpodcast.com. And you can also check out our Facebook group. And let me just tell you a secret. If you really feel like sending me a private message on Facebook, I probably will reply. If you really need help with something, if you, like, if it's important for you to reach out to me, yeah, just send me a message. Now I'll probably get like a hundred messages, but uh, <laughs> you probably will. But yeah, so like if you really want to reach out to me, don't because I've felt this too. Like I've I've like oh there's someone they'll never they're never they're they'll never talk to me. That's not how I do my ministry. So mm. anyway, bye everyone. Have a good rest of your week and more learning <laughs> next week. More learning next week. If I could, just Derek, uh, some thank you, some special, oh, yeah. uh, some special thank thanks. To Tamara Kemsley for doing our uh, audio editing, for David Doyle for do- handling our uh, transcripts. Thank you guys very much for all y'all do. Uh, also, if you guys are interested, just in an effort to sustain the work of the show and improve it in various ways to further our mission, uh, we launched our Glow page a while ago. If you're willing and able, you can throw some coins our way in the form of a monthly contribution or a one-time contribution. And if you donate anything, you get access to all the benefits of being in collaboration with us, including access to our collaborator Facebook group where you can interact with us more directly, provide feedback, ideas for the show, access our notes, and, you know, a whole lot more. Uh, And if you got no coins to throw, not a big deal. Just share our Glow page on your socials and you can still join our collaborator community. Uh, We just want to make things as accessible as possible while doing whatever we can to grow our influence as a, you know, as a group of content creators. So, um, that is that is out there. The page is glow.fm slash beyond the block. That's G L O W dot F M slash beyond the block. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, till we meet again next week. Yeah, till we meet again next week. Bye. <laughs>